0: hello mom and welcome to the Mon village we're so happy like always that you're joining us and this is part two with the awesome jen wilkins my name is jismany ramos and i'm here with my ladies Kira Kelly. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whenever you evening. Good evening. Look. Good yes. evening and <laughs> Kristen Scroggins. Hi, ladies. And we're here with Jen Wilkins again, and we can't wait to jump in and ask her many, many more questions and get all that wisdom from this amazing friend. Kira, what is our next question? Well, in the first episode,
2: we talked about Deuteronomy 6, 7, where the Lord commands us to instruct our children in the way. However, that only works if we first heed to the commandment that comes before that in verses five and six. He instructs us, the mom and the dad, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words shall be on your heart. So Jen, can you tell us a little bit about your faith story? How did you come to know the Lord?
3: Yeah, I was raised in a home with two former Catholics who then began looking for where their place was in Protestantism and then ended up getting divorced when I was eight years old. And my mom then was a single mom in the church, which is a tricky spot to be in sometimes, not because the church is hostile to you, but just because you don't necessarily fit into the right category for a Sunday school class or, you know, it's just, it can be a sort of a lonely existence. And so she began sort of bouncing around to different churches in town, looking for a place that felt like home. And by the time I got to college, I had spent a significant amount of time in about seven different denominations. And so I was saved as a child. I don't actually know when, so I'm a terrible Baptist. (laughs) I don't have the date written in the front of my (laughs) Bible, but I thank God for that. I, I can't remember a time when I didn't know faith and also have a wonderful earthly father who meant that I didn't have the typical baggage people can have toward the idea of God as a loving father. But in early adulthood, I became increasingly convinced of the importance of having firsthand knowledge of the Bible because I had spent so much time in these different denominations. And there was always someone standing behind a pulpit holding the same book, Mm -hmm. but they weren't all saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being able to discern between false teaching and true teaching, but also just between bad teaching and better teaching, you know, was going to be dependent on knowing the scripture's. Firsthand. And also part of that faith journey involves some of the time spaces that my mom spent time in were in the word faith movement. And so when I think of false teaching, I think a lot of people think of false teaching as something to avoid because you don't want to think wrong things. But I think of false teaching as something with very tangible, real, dangerous consequences. And I saw that, you know, in my own family. And so when I think about Bible literacy and about why I'm doing what I'm doing now and how the Lord has brought me through, I think about that a lot, that the false teacher relies on us just not knowing what the Bible says, being able to do what they want with any particular passage. And so into adulthood, that determination to resolve that for myself, and then to teach others is why I've turned into what I am today,
0: mm.
1: well, yeah, because loving him is knowing him, right? So yeah. if we don't do that, then we can't follow the command that he tells us his parents in Deuteronomy six seven to instruct them, instruct them in
0: what? We don't that's have anything right. to lean on. Mm-hmm. And so, that's- so how do you personally study the scriptures, You know, so you explain to us how you got to, love scriptures and how that kind of that thirst to know more about the bible came from but Mm -hmm. how do you personally study the scriptures for you for jen you know and then how can you tell our moms you know that recently begun to open the word of god and so i was like hey this is a good place to start or you should start with this book or this bible study or just as simple as this you know something that our mom village can relate and start from when they are right now
3: yeah well, so one of my other pieces of heartburn that I encountered as I was you know growing up was we'll just call it the pink ghetto. It's the <laughs> kinds of resources that were being given to women, right yes. and they were resourcing women almost entirely at the feelings level, yes. uh, not at the thought level, mm-hmm. and they were not requiring that women do any of the work themselves. It was basically spoon feeding. And so I have a lot of strong justice thing inside of me. And that felt like an injustice to me. It felt like we were infantilizing women. We were treating them as though they were only feelers and not also thinkers. Mm -hmm. And yet that command in Deuteronomy is given to both men and women. So I think I mentioned in the last episode that I have an English degree and it occurred to me that the ways that women were being trained to think about the scriptures were the ways that we would not think of any other book, that we wouldn't treat Shakespeare the way that we're being told to read the Bible. We wouldn't treat a math textbook the way that we're being told to read the Bible. And so to treat the Bible as a book, Mm. the Bible is much more than a book, but it is at the very least that. And so basic literacy tools so to the woman who's listening to this and she's wondering, where do I start? The number one, most underutilized tool, an accessible tool to you is to read repetitively. It is to pick a book of the Bible, stay there, not bounce around to a bunch of different places. Start at the beginning, read to the end. And then guess what? do the do same again. Thing again, Right. And I also encourage women to do this without a study Bible. You can use your study Bible to get the background information on a book so that you know the context that the book was written to. But then as you start your repetitive reading, go put that Bible away because you are going to want to, when you hit something that's hard to understand, your reflex will be to look and read those commentary notes. And that's sabotaging the learning process for you. You have to let yourself feel what you don't know to be able to learn properly. So all these things that I'm articulate, your question was, how do I do things? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I do that. I am what I am asking others to do is exactly what I do. It is to begin my reading repetitively and begin marking, you know, the things that I'm seeing that are being repeated or things that are true about God and to be patient with the Mm. process. Because so often in the pink ghetto, we have been told, wake up in the morning and give 15 minutes of time to this, and you will receive something in those 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But we don't actually get to tell the scriptures when they yield up truth to us. We wait on the Lord and that. And so what for many of us, what we will do is we will get up and we will spend our time reading and get to the end of what we've read for that day and say, I don't know, that made <laughs> that me feel weird be- or uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, and we're just going to. We're going to let it sit and we're going to trust the Lord. That's a paradigm shift for a lot of women, but it's exactly, I'm asking women to do exactly what I do myself. So you're a biblical literacy advocate, and I don't know if I said that right, because I'm Spanish,
0: but (laughs) biblical (laughs) literacy advocate. Okay. So for those that don't know what it is, and please help a sister here, the Spanish person here, but what do you mean by that term and how do our moms become biblically literate? Come on, (laughs) get some brownie (laughs) points. Literate. Yeah. Like how would you explain that to also a non-believer? And I'm pretty sure you encounter so many that you tell them this is what and they're like, okay, good for you. What is that? So how do you explain that (laughs) and, and tell us more about that?
3: So I actually refine the terminology even more, which maybe would be easier to say that it's, I say Bible literacy, not biblical literacy. (laughs) And the reason that I say that is because biblical literacy implies knowledge about the Bible. Bible literacy implies knowledge of the Bible itself. So it's a minor tweak to the terminology, but I actually find that I meet a fair number of Christians who know some things about the Bible, but they've learned them through secondary or tertiary sources. They know things about the Bible from sermons or podcasts or commentaries, but they themselves could not go to the scriptures Mm -hmm. and tell you what's there. They would fail a basic pop quiz over factual information about the scriptures. So when I talk about Bible literacy, what I mean is that you have access to a Bible and you are able to understand what is in it because you have the tools to gain that understanding. The reason I think one of the reasons that we can't lose sight of for the what I would call a full blown Bible literacy crisis in the church today is that we don't just have a Bible literacy crisis. We have a literacy crisis in Mm -hmm. our culture. People don't just not know how to read the Bible. They don't know how to read anything. They don't have skills to go and read a news article or even a tweet on social media. They come to it filled with assumptions or expectations or preconceived notions, they don't consider the context of something. And so all of the skills that I'm asking to be brought to Bible study are just simple literacy tools that should have been taught to us in our high school English class. But either we did not learn them then, or they were not ever given to us. So basically, let me
0: see if I'm getting this right. So you're telling us that probably people they are reading the content, but they don't know how to define what they're reading or understand properly what they're
3: reading? Well, they think that they are the determiners of what something means. Mm. And so when we come to the book, so I have written four books now. I have never sat down to write a book and thought, I'm going to put some words on a page and people can take from it whatever they want. Hmm. And the biblical authors are no different. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, obviously, we understand the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the, in we're not questioning any of of the the role of the Spirit in the scriptures and in them being perfect. But the human authors had a purpose for writing. Mm -hmm. It was God's purpose, you know, that was given to them through the Spirit. But they had a purpose. Meaning is determined by the author. It is discovered by the reader. And so when we come to read the Bible, it is a process of discovery, not of assigning a meaning to what we're reading. So and there are the biblical authors wrote according to the rules of the way things are written. So if you read the Psalms, you should understand that's poetry. I don't read poetry the way that I read historical narrative, like I see in Genesis. Mm -hmm. One of the most common places that I see people have a misunderstanding of how to read scripture is with wisdom literature. So like the book of Proverbs, where they have understood the words in Proverbs to be a promise to them that they can claim and pray to the Lord and require him to make good on instead of understanding them to be principles, things that are generally observed to be true. So for example, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I have had many conversations with heartbroken parents whose children have departed from the way they were raised in. And they're either saying, I'm just going to keep claiming that because the Lord promised that to me, which by all means, keep asking the Lord to restore your child to that. I'm not saying don't do that. But the problem is when they don't see that happen, they question the goodness of God or the truthfulness of God because they didn't understand it was a principle instead of a promise. So like I said, very real consequences for not understanding just basic rules of how to read particular kinds of portions of scripture.
1: So you just talked about that You've written four books now. And then, I mean, do you even know how many studies you've written? Gosh, I don't know. Somebody asked me that yesterday and I couldn't, can't remember. (laughs) Many, we'll say many. A lot, Um, yeah. So what has been your favorite, I don't even know if you can answer this, but
3: your favorite writing assignment to date, what do you think it would be? Oh, it's definitely my second book, None Like Him. I'm glad it was my second book. It was the first book that I thought I would want to write, but they were like, well, we think no, that's not your first book. And so I wrote Women of the Word and it's actually the books have ended up coming out in the order they should have because in Women of the Word, as I'm talking through some of these tools for Bible literacy, one of the most important ones is to read the Bible first and foremost as a book about God. It's Mm -hmm. about God discovery before we ask any question about who I am. And what I know from my years of teaching in my local church and in my living room and et cetera, is that it's one thing to tell women to read the Bible as a book about God, but it's another to actually train them to do so. That most of us have an atrophied or an absent vocabulary about the things that are true about God. We might top of mind (coughs) things like, oh, he's loving. And I know what loving is because I'm loving, right? (laughs) Or he's gracious. And I know what that is because I'm gracious. So I have some frame of reference for that. But when I wrote None Like Him, it was about the things that are only true about God that are not true about us and about how we understand ourselves differently when we meditate on the incommunicable attributes, the things that are only true about God. My premise for that book is that when Eve is in the garden and the serpent says to her, God knows when you eat of that fruit, that you will become like him. That we should stop in our tracks when we hear that statement because if we paid attention to Genesis 1, we know that she is already like God,
0: hmm. mm-hmm.
3: she was made in his image. So then that means that whatever is being offered to her in Genesis 3 is a way of being like God that she is not built for. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so when you look at the things that are only true about God, God is, we'll, we'll take one for an example. God is omnipresent. He is able to be everywhere fully present, right? And that means that really quick illustration, he is able to create and sustain an unlimited number of face-to-face personal relationships because he is everywhere fully present. You and I have bodies that mean we can only be in one place at one time. So we are limited in the number of person-to-person relationships we can create and sustain, and so then how does this turn into idolatry for us? What does social media offer us?
0: I was just going to say that. i like, social media. <laughs> yeah.
3: That's, so anything that you are just super drawn to and you're like, why do I love this so much? You can ask yourself, mm. how is this telling me I can be like God in a way that I'm not designed to be like God?
0: Mm.
3: That's a sneak peek. Wow. No, I was
0: ready for the sneak peek to keep coming, but (laughs) we don't have have the time for it.
2: So, Jen, can you talk to us a little bit about specifically the importance of studying the Old Testament? And I know a lot of us shy away from the Old Testament. And how does this help us understand the friendship of law and grace?
3: And you just give us a snippet a little bit without any idea. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, the Old Testament, you know, we should love the Old Testament because the authors of the New Testament did. And because Jesus says in the gospel of John that it's about him. And so people who will say that they just love spending time in the New Testament, but the Old Testament wigs them out. I'm like, well, you can't have much hope of seeing the depth and beauty of the New Testament. If you don't know the old Testament, because the new Testament authors are constantly referencing it and it's in the old Testament in particular, I would say in Genesis and Exodus, but certainly not just there where we see the seed plot for the Bible, all of the themes that are going to carry all the way through to revelation are introduced there. And so if we have any hope of, of right interpretation of new Testament, we need to understand the old Testament. Often people perceive the God of the Old Testament to be thundering from Mount Sinai, handing out a bunch of rules, but then Jesus comes. And so the God of the New Testament is snuggly and just wants to give us grace, no matter what we do wrong. And so it's important for us to recognize that God is unchanging. Therefore, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are one. And then we have to ask questions about how is God actually portrayed in the Old Testament in gracious ways, and how is he portrayed in the New Testament as caring very much about the way that we live our lives. The Ten Commandments are God's instructions of how to live his way in his world. They show us the path of righteousness. They show us what pleases him, and we do not try to obey them to earn his good favor we obey them because we already have it we have positional righteousness in christ who obeys the law perfectly but we then live lives of practical righteousness where we wake up every morning and say i want to be holy as he is holy how can i do that I'm not going to murder someone today. Right. Well, that's you know, okay. Well, I wasn't planning to do that anyway, but then instead saying, well, if the command is to not murder, what's the undergirding principle. It's that I would be someone who nurtures and protects and promotes life everywhere I go. And you've written
0: about the command, love your neighbor, you know, and tell us about how that one specifically has impacted your mothering. Cause I know that mom village, We'd love to hear your perspective on that one specifically. And then can you share, you know, with us your thoughts about that specific one, you know, and your journey as a mom and a grandma?
3: Yeah, there has been no other idea that has more profoundly impacted the way I thought about parenting than when it suddenly hit me like a lightning bolt that my children were my neighbors, that when I thought of loving my neighbor, as I loved myself, I was thinking of my neighbor next door or the person I work with, or, I you think know, everyone was, thinks like that. Yeah. Yes. Because who wants to look at it the other way, you know? And, but then also, I think I began to have to come face to face with the idea that I actually often thought of my children as less than fully human mm-hmm. in the way that I was interacting with them maybe it was my tone, you know, or maybe it was that hastening to say, no, I did not regard them as people to whom I should try to outdo others and showing honor. You know, my mm. children were not to be objects of my honor. They were to be in submission to me. Mm. And once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. You know, it was like, they're the closest neighbors I have. And then you're like, oh my gosh, Mr. Rogers was saying this for decades. <laughs> and it, you know, and it is, it's what he was saying. He was giving dignity to the small people in our lives and saying, these are people And then all of a sudden you have to set aside the notion that the Bible has a handful of verses for parents because you begin to realize that all of the New Testament one another's are actually applicable in your home among your family members. Children are in a hierarchical relationship to parents, right? Mm -hmm. But I think we can place so much of our weight on the I'm in charge piece of parenting that we forget the I'm supposed to be showing you what it means to be a good neighbor by being a good neighbor to you. Mm -hmm.
1: Jen, we are so grateful for the time that you've given us these past two episodes and I'm grateful personally for the calling that God has on your life to bless others through your writing and through your speaking and to really point people in the knowledge of God. And so we're going to give away a couple of your books to some of our listeners who subscribed first. So I'm going to let you pick them. I want to go ahead and do um, None Like Him because you've mentioned it. <laughs> and then 10 Words to Live By because I'm reading that right now. And it's awesome. And by the way, we give all of our staff wives as many of your books as you can mm-hmm. for the very Aww. for the very reason that you said in this podcast is that... It is about thought. Now, that affects our feelings, but you want Mm -hmm. us to be thinkers. God wants us to be thinkers. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for giving us these resources. So none like him, 10 words to live by. Pick one more for us to give away.
3: Oh, I have to say women of the word. I can't not. As much talk as we did about yeah. Women of the word, just for your listeners, it's what I would say the first week of Bible study every time if I had six hours, yeah. which I don't. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah. It's the whole picture of what I'm hoping women will be drawn into to become more comfortable reading any book of the Bible and also just you know, to be learning, how can I do this in community? It's not meant to be done alone. Mm-hmm. Your quiet time will only do so much for you. You're meant to be having these conversations in community with other believers. Jen, thank you so much. We're going to yeah. put in our show notes
1: how our women that are listening can get to know you better and have more of the
0: resources that God has allowed you to produce. So thanks so much. Thank you. And Village, we're going to say goodbye to Jen, but hopefully... Um, you have more time in the future and we can get you back in another episode. I would love that. But Jen is going to join you this time to say goodbye. We got this. We can get it this time. (laughs) Ready, ladies? One, two, three.
3: Bye. Bye.